Well, good morning. It is so good to see you. Thank you for being here in Plymouth, and we're live streaming to Northridge Grosseal and Northridge Brighton. So glad that you guys are there, and if you're a guest in any of our campuses, thank you so much for being here. And of course, for all of you who make up the Northridge family, we're thrilled that you're here. And so if you're a guest, we are one church, Northridge Church, but we have four different locations, including Celine. And we are just absolutely thrilled that you're here with us. And before we get into the new series and this particular weekend's talk, I just need to mention I am so proud of this church family, all those who are investing in making this weekend happen, because it's not just the service that they're a part of. They are a big part of the glory of Christmas as well. And we have this huge outreach called the glory of Christmas that is going to reach in this weekend and next weekend nearly 30,000 people. And uh, I'm just curious, how many of you have already been to one of the three shows that we've done? Have you? They did okay so far, didn't they? They did all right. That's awesome. And uh, how many of you know for sure you've got your tickets, you've already made your invites and all that, you're going to be at one of the next seven shows that are coming, would you? Yeah, fantastic. I'm glad that you're here. If you aren't yet committed to coming to the show, good luck getting a seat. That's all I can say. It's, it's kind of filled up. And I, I am so proud of the people. I mean, Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday, and then we had our Saturday night service here in Plymouth, and then... Now we're having our weekend services at all our different locations, and then we're going to have two Glory of Christmas concerts this weekend. And I mean, people are going to get worn out for the greatest of reasons to wake people up to Jesus. And I'm just so, so proud to be a part of it. And this service, we're starting a, a brand new series called Pictures of Christmas. And I just absolutely love the title because in my memory... I have just so many pictures of Christmas, uh, and I'm sure you do as well. And, and, and some of those pictures of past Christmases are, are just beautiful pictures. I mean, I remember, you know, I grew up in a family of four boys, and I remember us getting up real early and going and waking mom and dad up and them coming down in their robes and drinking their coffee while we get to destroy the gifts that they gave us. And I mean, just... You know, my dad's no longer uh, walking on this planet, and, and um, it's a beautiful memory to remember those times that I had there. And, and, and Roxanne and I, we've been married for 36 years, and we have three adult children now, but I, I have just some precious and good memories, some pictures that I'll never forget of the beauty of our family celebrating Christmas. And I'm sure, you, you know, most of you, not all of you, but most of you have pictures like that. But, but I have to be honest, um, not all of my memories and the pictures that I have in my head of past Christmases are good. I mean, you know, you tend to celebrate Christmas with family, and when you get together with family, oh my gosh, right? And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to always blame other family members, but uh, Roxanne and I and our family, we, we had one disastrous Christmas. I mean, disastrous. And sadly, I, I was kind of at the center of it. And um, it, the whole family melted down, and it dealt with all kinds of, uh, you know, expectations that were unmet, and it was, it was horrific. And, and I have to tell you, I mean, it'd be great I probably wouldn't even be telling you about it except for the fact that this was all recorded on a VHS camera. And, uh, 
my son, who was at the center of this um, meltdown uh, as far as receiving some things from me, um, is in possession of this VHS tape. <laughs> Locks it down like it's in Fort Knox and loves to remind me and us of that moment in our lives. And, and it's a picture. And, and as bad as it was, and it wasn't great. As bad as it was, I learned a lot from that moment. I, I learned a lot of um, the stuff that goes on inside of me and the expectations that I can come into something that might be a little bit more dysfunctional and distorted than, than healthy and good. And, and I have been able to grow a lot through that bad moment in Powell Christmas history. And so we can, we can benefit from and we can learn from and we can go, grow from the good pictures, of course, but also from the bad pictures, right? And often we, we tend to only want to go to the good pictures. I, I don't know about you, but we, we, don't have, we don't put together picture albums anymore. Um, that's mostly digital now, but we have from our past big albums. Uh, and it's not the bad moments that are in those albums. It's all the good moments, you know, like... You know, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, that kind of a deal. Uh, it's not the bad stuff, but, but the truth is, if we forget all of the bad things, we won't learn the lessons we need to from them. And the same is true with the first Christmas, you know. And it wasn't called Christmas then, it's what we call it now, but it's, it's talking about when Jesus entered this world and started fulfilling the promise that God had had to redeem this world from all of its darkness. And... And uh, God has given us a lot of pictures from that very first Christmas, from those moments that Jesus entered, you know, this planet and became a human to walk with us and for us. And some of those pictures are, I mean, they're just great pictures. They're beautiful pictures. These are the ones that make the Hallmark cards, <laughs> you know. It's like the, the wise men and the star and the angels and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph, hey, wow, those are cool pictures. You know, you think of Gabriel announcing to Mary that she's the chosen one, and whoo. But not all the pictures are great. In fact, some are horrific, to be honest. And we can learn and benefit from those as well. Well, this week, it's a, it's a not-so-good picture of Christmas that God's given us we're going to look at. And, uh, you know, in uh, some upcoming weeks, we're going to look at some of the more beautiful ones, but... But the truth is, if we don't look at some of the negative ones, we will never, ever really be able to experience the ultimate positive ones and the good ones. Because Jesus didn't come into this world because everything was good. Jesus came into this world because things were that bad. And, and until we see that story pictured, until we understand that painting of reality, we're never really going to experience the fullness of the impact that he has for us. And so we're looking at this weekend a guy named Herod. We think of O Little Town of Bethlehem, the song and the beautiful pictures it paints, but, but everything that happened in Bethlehem on the day that Jesus was born happened in the shadow of one of King Herod's palaces. And he had many, many palaces. I mean, ostentatious demonstrations of how powerful and great he was. But but his primary palace, the one that he was closest to and cared most about, was the one he built in Bethlehem. It's called the Herodium. He was actually buried. They recently found the remains of Herod at the Herodium, 
This was his palace. And if he built a ton of palaces, imagine the amount that he put into this one. He had man-made lakes that literally could house boats and have boats sail across them. And, and the, the hill that he wanted to build on wasn't big enough to demonstrate his greatness. And so he literally moved mountains with human labor so he could build this Herodium over Bethlehem and oversee it and be known for his greatness. But what a lot of people don't understand is that one of the reasons he built this huge palace in Bethlehem was because he wanted to make sure that the prophecy, the Jewish prophecy, that a king of the Jews would be born in Bethlehem would not dislodge him from his position as king of the Jews. He was going to watch over Bethlehem so that he could eliminate all competition. And Bible prophecy or not, he was going to get rid of any competition to his throne. He had worked too hard to become the king of the Jews. And God gives us this story, this picture. Look at Matthew chapter 2, and I'll read a couple of verses all the way through the chapter. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, these are the wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, distraught, and all Jerusalem with him. When a leader is distraught, the people they lead become distraught. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the wise men returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord actually appeared to Joseph, the, the, the husband of Mary, in a dream. And the angel said, get up, he said, take the child and his mother to escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That's why he built this big palace to oversee Bethlehem. It's one of the reasons. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, the time that they had seen the star appear. This guy was desperate to keep his position. This guy was desperate to remain king of the Jews. So desperate that if he couldn't just get away with killing one, he'd kill every child in the vicinity to eliminate all competition. The picture of Christmas that God gives us here is the picture of Herod, ruled by self-interest, ruled by putting himself at the center of the world. He wanted everything in the world to orbit around him and his own self-interest. And if he could do it in a way that didn't disrupt or destroy people's lives, fine. But if he had to disrupt and to destroy people's lives, he'd disrupt and destroy as many as possible just so he could make sure that the world kept orbiting around him to his pleasure. He was, if we're really honest, he was acting as if he were God, as if he were the one, was the one in the world that mattered most. When you look at his story, it's pretty interesting. He was 
he was ruled because of his self-interest, because of making himself the center of the universe, he was ruled by self-promotion. I mean, this guy was all about promoting himself. I mean, it's what he did. It's like lifted himself up. I mean, if others weren't going to brag about him as being great, he would brag about him being as great. I mean, the great, Herod the Great, really? You think his grandma gave him that name? Herod the Great, self-promotion. He, he, he promoted his own power. He promoted his own pleasure. He promoted his own prosperity. He, he promoted his own advancement. I mean, when, when your interest is self-centered, you're going to have to self-promote because no way is anyone else in the world ever going to promote you to the level that you think you deserve. It's just how they live. And, and not only was he into self-promotion, because his life was all about himself, he, he was ruled by self-protection. Because, you know, it's interesting, there's not just one person in the world ruled by self-interest, self-promoting, and that means that there's always going to be someone trying to take your place. Ever played King of the Hill? I've never played King of the Hill where everybody said, Brad, you get at the top and we're just going to let you hang out there. No, they're trying to take you down, so you have to self-protect, and that's what he did. And, and because it never comes easily, he had to learn all the human ways of, of protecting his position as the center of the universe, as the god of the world, as he saw it. And, and so he, he had to self-protect through manipulation. You know, you'll do it positively as long as you can, but, but it's not going to last long, and so you're going to have to start manipulating, and that's what he did. I mean, he, to be considered the king of the Jews, he had to, he had to manipulate everyone in his world. And he, so he, he played goodness with the Roman leaders and Caesars so that they would give him these positions and grant him license to have power. And he would, he would play a good role with the citizens of his so-called kingdom. And he would try and do all kinds of positive things so that they would kind of let him be king, but the minute they didn't fall to his plans to be great, then he became a murderous fiend. He, he literally wiped out, you know, his family in many cases. His, his One of his wives wiped out their whole family so he could seize their power. He killed one of his wives. He killed a couple of his sons. I, I'm telling you, this guy manipulated every circumstance of life to protect himself. And not only that, if you're going to actually lift yourself up a king and get other people worshiping you when obviously you don't deserve it, you're going to have to mislead them a little bit. You're going to have to lie. And this is where you, we create perceptions that aren't true, create images that aren't true. And he did this in the passage that I already read, right? Oh, would you, when you find that baby, would you please let me know so that I can worship him? Oh my gosh, how awesome. What are you going to give him, frankincense? Oh, great gift. Gold? Oh, that's awesome. Myrrh? Eh, that sucks. You know, but I... Tell you what I'm going to give him. A dagger in the throat. He wasn't going to tell the truth. He was going to mislead. Deception and lies. Aren't you glad we live in the 21st century where politicians no longer have to mislead us? In order to self-protect and self-promote, he, he manipulated, he misled people, and he mistreated people. 
Because whenever you live long enough promoting yourself and protecting yourself, you're going to lose the good graces with people around you. And, you know, there weren't a lot of people who celebrated this guy as being magnificent. He had to control his setting and protect himself. Many of these palaces were simply places where he could escape to to protect himself. And he had to hire people to protect himself. And so he knew when he was coming close to death that actually on his deathbed and that the world wasn't going to mourn for him but he believed that since he was the god of the universe in his own imagination that the world should mourn and so he had imprisoned some of the most popular people and i've talked about this here before but had imprisoned some of the more popular people in the world of that day with this to his son the moment i die i want them killed so the whole world will mourn me rightfully can you imagine the funny thing is, he, he actually was on his deathbed and then kind of recovered for a time. And his son, when he thought his dad was going to die, decided there was no way he was going to kill these people because he knew he had to rule after his dad and he wanted to be in good graces with these people, so he let them go. And then his dad recovered and killed him. Because that's what happens when you live by self-interest. But interestingly enough, he... He was ruled by self-promotion, and he was ruled by self-protection, and he did all of these things. And why did he do it? He did it so he would gain, right? He wanted to gain. But in the end, he gained nothing. He lost everything. He lost everything. And so self-promotion and self-protection ultimately led to self-destruction. And that's exactly what happens when we live for self-interest. You can't live ruled by self-interest and ultimately keep or gain anything of value to you. Not the love of others, not the respect of others, not the care of others, not the compassion of others. I'm sorry, you lose everything. And that's what Jesus said. Mark 8, 36, what does it profit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And most people are losing them to their souls. What I have to force myself to, to deal with after I look at all the good pictures of Christmas God's given us that I love to review is I have to realize that God's given us this picture of Christmas because it just as all the good ones are relevant to us important for us to learn from there so that we can benefit from and this picture of Herod's no different in fact let me give you the the sad truth if I could we manifest it differently and we certainly manifest it and show it to varying degrees but here's what we need to understand we are all, and I, I hope you'll get this, we are all born with the exact same nature as Herod. So easy for us to go, oh man, I, what an awful guy. Sure hate to be his parent. But here's the truth. We're all born with the exact same nature as Herod. And this isn't me making stuff up so that I can make a dramatic point. Like, can, I, can I just read the Bible to you? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. We, and I'm going to ask you because I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure this is true at Grosseal, I'm sure this is true at Brighton, Celine, it, here in Plymouth. It, I mean, I don't know if you notice, it feels like gravity has increased in the world the way you guys are. It's like, and so since there's not enough coffee in the world to energize you, um, I'm going to get you to talk just a little bit, if possible, so that you can kind of stay awake, all right? So um, 
I'm going to ask you to say out loud the second word in this verse, Isaiah 53, 6. Here's the first word, we all. Not some. All. This is to all. And I know some of you, I, you, you kind of go in like, this is, you know, others, you know, my wife, oh my gosh, yeah, my kids, yeah, Herod, yeah, no, Brad Powell, no doubt about him. But it's all. And it says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all blown it. But then it tells us why. We've all blown it. We've all walked away from God. We've, we've all made horrible choices in life. We've all been ruled by self-interest. We've all self-promoted and self-protected, trying to gain, but we've all lost in the process. And here's why we've done it. Each of us has turned to his own way. You know what I'm saying? Each of us has turned to his own way. We're all ruled by self-interest. It goes back to Adam and Eve. Why did they pluck the fruit from the tree? Only one tree they couldn't eat from. It had nothing to do with their needs whatsoever. And God had said no. Why did they pluck fruit from that tree? Because they wanted it. Ruled by self-interest. And it goes on to this day. We're ruled by self-interest. Every one of us. We've made choices. Maybe not choices like Herod to kill people, but we've made choices contrary to what's good, contrary to what's right, contrary to what's godly, contrary to what leads to life, because we wanted to. And the Bible says all. And this isn't like straining at the gnat. There's one verse in the Bible that says this. You can't read the Bible without seeing this. Uh, look at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. As it's written, there is no one... Okay. Some of you are going, mm, there's someone. Let me say it again. No one. There's no one righteous, not even one. Righteous means good. Does the right thing. Follows God's. Never blown it. Hasn't ever been ruled by self-interest. There is no one that's unlike Herod, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. God created us as people of great worth in his image and we have destroyed it and become worthless because of self-interest. That's what Herod did. We do it to gain, but it brings loss. There is no one who does good, not even one. And I love that last part, not even one, because you, you read that, and there's no unrighteous, there's not even one, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned away, they're together. And we start thinking, I don't know. And he goes, not even, don't even think about it. <laughs> and some of you are going, you know, you know, Herod was killing people, man. I'm not like Herod, really. Look at Galatians 5, 19 and 20. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. I mean, he was ruled by sinful, selfish nature. That's what we're ruled by. It's, they're obvious. Sexual immorality. There's not a person in this room, not one, who hasn't expressed themselves in sexual immorality in one way or another. Behavior or thought, not one. We love pointing our fingers at other people who have expressed sexual immorality in a way other than ours, but all of us are there because we're all interested in self-interest, self-promotion, self-protection, self-pleasure. That's just where we are because we're like Herod. And then it says, it's not just that. It's hatred is a sign of the sinful nature. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, 
selfish ambition, which all of us have because we all turned our own way. You see, we were born with the same nature as Herod. And, and why is this important? Because until we understand this, we'll never experience the power of what Jesus came to bring us at Christmas. We'll talk about the story, we'll celebrate the story, we'll put up the trees and we'll give gifts. We'll come to places like this and sing the songs and listen to the songs and we'll even be involved. But we'll never experience the power of what Jesus came to bring us until we're willing and able to acknowledge that he didn't come for the Herods of this world, he came for the me's of this world. We love to cover who we are with religion. I'm not at all like Herod. Look at this. I go to church. I'm not at all like Herod. Look at this. I sing these songs. You know the radio stations I listen to? Oh, they suck, but they're Christian radio, so I do it. You know the TV program? I only watch the inspirational channel. I'm really sorry. There's better programming in some other stations. There really is. But you're doing a lot. Look at what I do. Doesn't matter. You're still just like Herod. And until we're able to acknowledge this, we're going to, in the name of Jesus, be just as ruled by self-interest and self-promotion and self-protection and ultimately self-destruction as he was. You know what happens? Because we have the same nature as Herod, but like Herod, we're unwilling to acknowledge it or admit it or do something about it. We think that we're cutting our own trail. We think we're pioneering a new life. We're not going to follow the crowd. We're going to do our own thing. And yet in so doing, what we're really doing is we're following the same path every other human takes. The path of self-interest, self-promotion, self-protection, and ultimately self-destruction. We're, we're simply following in the footsteps of Herod. Just like him. Declaring ourselves king of the world. Everything's about us. Even God. He, he, look at your prayer life. Very often we're saying, God... You better submit to my agenda and my program. You're my genie in the bottle. And if you don't do what I want you to do, then I'm going to drop out on you. Like he's up there going, oh, please don't do that. Please. But we're trying to manipulate him as if we're God and he's our servant. Look at Proverbs 16, 25. It says, there's a, a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I've never made one choice in my life that didn't seem right to me. When I was a teenager, my parents would say, don't do this. It seemed right to do it because my parents were screwed up in the head, I thought. But it turned out they were right. I was wrong. Herod thought he was doing right, but he lost everything, and we feel the same way. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 18. This is a verse about the Apostle Paul, who, Paul, who became an unbelievably profound man of God, had prior to being a man of God, been a self-destructive mess, destroying people's lives all around him in the name of religion, by the way, until he made this discovery. Look at Romans 7, 18. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He... he, he he, he thought religion was enough for him, and instead what he did was he, he allowed religion to become his outward expression, but self-interest to still rule as the motivation of his heart. 
And he realized he was just as empty in the name of religion as Herod was in the name of his own kingdom. He was trying to be just as much a king of his universe as Herod was trying to be of his. And finally he said, there's no way to fix this. This is my nature. And then he realized that's why Jesus came. Jesus came not so that we could put on different clothing. Jesus came so he could put in us a brand new nature. But in order to get that, we need to acknowledge that we need that new nature. We need to recognize our need and what Jesus came for. And so Paul finally got to the place where he went, you know, there's just nothing good in me. I have nothing to offer him. We can become very religious and feel like we're offering God some things and now he owes us. But Paul realized, I have nothing to offer God. He will never owe me anything. I will always owe him. He's king, I'm not. He finally came to grips with what he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Do you realize Paul finally got it? The only thing he deserved was death. And I'm going to tell you, I, and I, there are seasons in my life where I'm, I'm expressing my dysfunction more, in a more pronounced way. And I realize I'm just a mess. But then there are seasons in my life where I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Love him. I've been married for 36 years, and you know, there have been like hours when she wasn't mad at me. You know, and I, 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 moments when I'm in a season of parenting that have been fantastic, moments when I'm in a season of my faith that have been pretty good. And you know what happens in those moments at times? I, I start thinking, I deserve some things. I deserve God to answer my prayer because it's my prayer, doggone it. I, I deserve some things. He owes me. Look at how I've been faithful. Look what I do for a career. He owes me. Look at the people I put up with. I deserve some things. But, but the truth is, I deserve something all right the same thing here it deserved death for the wages of sin is death and that's all I've ever brought to the table that's who I am in me is nothing good religion tries to cover that up religion tries to hide that religion tries to give us a uh, you know a whole new venue but we're just hiding who we really are until we acknowledge it there's nothing good in me I deserve nothing but death and until we come to this place we will never experience the transforming power of Christmas, which brings me to this application. In order for our lives to be genuinely different and better than Herod's, in order for us to be less driven by self-promotion and self-protection and less susceptible to self-destruction, we have to unwrap the real gift of Christmas. And the real gift of Christmas isn't unwrapped by coming to church and woohoo, celebrating it once in a while. It's not... It's not unwrapped by singing a song like O Little Town of Bethlehem. You know how it's unwrapped? It's unwrapped by coming to the end of ourselves and letting Jesus transform us. Romans 6.23 says it. The wages of sin is death, that's all I deserve, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's his gift. Life. I have to unwrap it. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world 
to save sinners. Do you know why most people never experience the powerful impact of Christmas in their life, of Christ in their life? It's because they're not willing to admit that they're the reasons he came. You know, it's those other people. You know, those people who vote Republican. Those people who vote Democrat, those people are ruining the world. Those people who do this, they're ruining the world. These people are doing the world. They're ruining the world. And those people who don't go to church, they're ruining the world. The people who do. All oh, those people who aren't Catholics are ruining the world. We know the Baptists are ruining the world, right? And it's like on and on, and we're doing all this stuff because whatever group we're in, it's the other people causing it. But Jesus didn't come to die for other people. Jesus came to die for you because you're the sinner. Herod couldn't come to acknowledge that. He couldn't ever recognize it, and so... He couldn't break free of self-interest, and he always saw himself as king, and he died the loser. Paul finally came to the place where he goes, you know what? I'm a mess, and Jesus came to forgive me. You know, when Jesus becomes real to us, when we stop pointing our fingers at other people, and we start realizing it's us, we're the problem. Have you ever reached that place? I'm the sinner he came to die for. I'm the sinner. I'm the guilty one. John 1.12 says all we have to do is receive him, put our faith in his name, and he gives us the right, even though we're just like Herod, to become children of God. How do we do it? Well, we need to see ourselves for who we are. Not God, not the center of the universe, but sinners. We need to repent and confess it. Confess that that's who we are and turn from it. And then we need to turn to God and let God be God. Here, here's what we need to do. We need to stop pretending that we're the king of the world. And we need to recognize and acknowledge and look to God for what he is, what he's always been, and what he'll always be. And what, if we're honest, we need him to be. He's the king of the world. And when we can acknowledge that, it's then that we might break the cycle of Herod in our lives. Listen to this.
took me a long time to get to the place where I could say, I was trying to be what only you can be, the king of the world. I've been a pastor a long time, and I'm going to tell you, I still fight that struggle. But as a pastor, I know that the reason we don't experience the fullness of Jesus in our life is because all of us are still struggling with this. And many of us haven't yet faced it down. But you, you know what happens when we finally acknowledge, you know what? <laughs> I've been trying to be what only God can be. I've been acting in my own way just like Herod. And we confess it and we repent of that. And then we turn to God and we say, I want you to be the king of my life. Or Lord, I want you to be who you're supposed to be in my life. And we put our trust in him. Do you, do you, do you know what happens? It's then that we stop following the path and the footsteps of Herod and we start following the path and footsteps of Jesus. And we can't help ourselves. Because when we've truly been transformed by Jesus, do you know what he does? He changes our nature. The reason we're driven by self-interest is because we're born with the nature of Herod, the, the nature that put self at the center, but when we come to faith in Christ, you know what he does? He changes our nature. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so they, they now can't help themselves. They're going to follow in the footstep of Jesus because that's, that who, who's, that's whose nature they have. And they, they're going to be driven by a new focus. Instead of being focused on themselves and grabbing for themselves, they're going to begin focusing on God and others. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. This is what Paul the Apostle found. Do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit. That, that comes when you only have the nature of Herod, but rather in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not just look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now that you're you have the nature of Christ, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is what I love about our all-in emphasis here at Northridge over the last year. If you're a guest, we've been looking at, at just taking steps to be more and more all-in in our lives, in our investment, in our generosity financially. And what I love about this emphasis is that it gives us the opportunity to to clearly paint very different pictures with our lives. It, it, it gives us the ability to show that we're no longer motivated just by self-interest. You, you know, people who aren't generous are motivated by self-interest, but they ultimately lose. Herod wasn't generous to others, he was generous to himself. And in the name of Jesus, you know, tons of people in the name of Jesus are just like Herod. And by asking people to start taking steps to go all in on generosity, it allows us to show that we're not motivated on self-interest anymore. We're motivated by God's interest and others' interest. And as I look at Herod, I realize he was all in to Herod, all into building for Herod, palace after palace after palace. He couldn't help himself. It was his nature. But those who genuinely follow Christ have a very different nature. They... They want nothing more than 
And for Jesus to be seen as king, for Jesus to be known as king, they have a very different nature. And so they go from focusing on building for themselves to investing themselves in what God is building. You know, God is building his church and God is building people's lives and God is building a better world and they want to invest in that in the name of Jesus. They can't help themselves. Here's the important question, I think, for each of us to ask ourselves. Which one of these pictures best represents us? Do you look more like Herod or Jesus? Driven by self-interest or God and others' interest? Because it really shows whether or not you're headed towards self-destruction or you're headed towards the positive gains that God wants for you. I, I, I just want to encourage you. I, 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 I want to encourage you to acknowledge who you are without Christ. Acknowledge him as king. Trust him in your life. Let him transform you. And then live out that story. And I want to thank everyone here at Northridge who's, who's gone all in, taken another step to be all in. You're investing in waking the world up to Jesus. You're investing in others. And, and I'm thankful for you. I really am. But even more than thankful, I'm excited for you because I know what happens when, when we allow Jesus to change our focus from self to God and others. We gain. Herod lived his whole life to gain for himself and he lost everything. And when we stop living our life to gain for ourselves and instead invest in God's kingdom gaining and God's movement growing, what happens is we ultimately gain. And I just want to encourage each and every one of you, whether you're a part of Northridge or not, would you, would you really want your life legacy to be that you're like Herod? Or would you rather your life legacy to be that you're becoming like Jesus? I just encourage you to be taking steps to, to go all in. If you're part of Northridge family, I, I can't encourage you enough to join so many of us who have already taken this step, our next step to go all in on generosity. And we talked about it for two weeks before this series. And this is the last weekend we have the commitment table set up here in Plymouth. They're right outside the auditorium in this hallway towards the main lobby and up at the south entrance. And I mean, we have our cards that we passed out there, these all-in things, and, and there's a way for you to go on record. I'm just going all in. I'm just going all in. And then at those tables, we have rocks that those of us who've taken the next step have filled out and said all in or verses, and, and we're going to make sure at all of our campuses we have memories of the all-in movement. And so at Grove Seal and Brighton, since we're streaming live and you're right there listening right now, I just really encourage you, I hope that you'll go all in and make a difference in your communities as those of us here in Plymouth do and don't miss the opportunity. And we're coming to a season, this Christmas season, when it's natural to start thinking of giving to others, right? But usually we give to others who are ultimately going to give benefit back to us. I know my wife's going to gift me and I'm going to gift her, but the truth is, She's a better giver than I am. 
she's like thoughtful and creative and she thinks about it for a year and she's putting these things together and you know I know I've got to start thinking about it now and uh, I know that if I don't give a thoughtful gift I might not have a thoughtful wife for the first couple of months of uh, the year you know and so giving has a lot to do with what we get back but the truth is there's only one place that we should really really care about giving and that's to the one who's given everything to us at Christmas and we come to this year end and people start thinking in terms of giving and charity and and I think that's awesome a lot of great things to give to but let me just tell you I think it's a shame when people who know Jesus is the hope of the world give to charities that do a lot of good work but never mention Jesus. As a believer, I want to help people live better lives, but I want them to know Jesus gives them eternal life. And so to go all in on that is an important deal. And so this week we we've started you know our all-in Christmas offering emphasis and it's just going towards the same thing we're all about waking the world up to Jesus allowing us to do more and I hope that if you're going to be investing in generosity this Christmas and I hope you will that you'll think about doing it in a way that Jesus gets highlighted in that giving and through that giving and that's what we're about now because of Jesus we have the ability to though we were born with the nature of Herod to live very different lives than Herod did we have the ability to picture uh, with our lives God as king instead of ourselves as king. And when we do, we're going to find that we have absolute fulfillment because fulfillment comes from him. And so we thought we would end this weekend with worship. Once we've acknowledged that he's the king of the world, doesn't it make sense that we live by enthroning him as king of our lives. And so we want to end with this worship song where we say, he's the king, the only king forever. And my prayer is that you will make this the expression of your reality. And if you do, you won't follow Herod's path, you'll follow Jesus' path. And if we follow that path, this will be a very different world and we'll live very different lives. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for each one who's here at Brighton, at Gross Eel, at Celine, at Plymouth, and watching right now on video, I just ask God that you would help us to finally come to grips with the fact that we're no different from Herod in our nature, but that's why you came, to give us a new nature so that we could live very different lives. And let the lives that we live paint pictures of your love and your grace and your goodness. And may the world be ever better because of it. You're the king, the only king, forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord, North Ridge. Stand with us and sing. Come on, we're going to go out here with a bang and celebrate. Put your hands together. Now, you know I like for you to talk back to me. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Yeah. That's it. I love that energy. Our God, a firm foundation. Our
nations rise and fall Kingdoms once strong now shaken But we trust forever in your name The name of Jesus We trust the name of Jesus Jesus, he's worthy. Somebody just wave your hand and say, 